Um, all right. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Please be seated. Oh, this can't go down. Um, my name is Hal, and um, my wife, Carol, and I have three kids. I don't know if you uh, may have met them before, spanning from first year in college to first grade. Um, we are uh, members here uh, at uh, Hope Midtown, and we've been here for... It's hard to believe, a little bit over six months, and time just flies, and it's just been such a blessing. I just can't tell you, and I'm sure you feel this yourself, but what a um, blessing this community is to be able to worship together. You know, um, we've lived in places in the world where you can't openly uh, worship, and just to be able to have that privilege and that opportunity to come together and share uh, every Sunday and our lives together is something that uh, we don't take for granted and we're so thankful for. Now, if you've been with us over the last uh, couple of weeks, you know that we've been studying the miracles of Jesus. And specifically, we've been looking at the book of John. And today, we're going to be uh, sharing another miracle of Jesus, and that is the healing of the man born blind. Now, if you remember, Pastor Drew talked about uh, um, the, the water to wine, and he talked about uh, the, uh, the healing of the lame man. And last week, Brother Jordan talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And today, we're going to talk about this super interesting uh, miracle, which for me personally, I think is like one of the most profound miracles of Jesus. And it's kind of like one of those things where you say like, well, how could you say this miracle is more profound than this miracle? Like they're all profound, right? It's almost like when I think of my three kids and somebody asks, well, which kid do you love the most? You know, it's like, well, I love all of them. That's the safe answer. And so they're all profound, okay? Over these seven weeks as we study, every miracle is going to be profound. But in particular, I hope you'll see today as we dive into this uh, as we dive into this miracle, just how life-changing it is, it was for this man who was healed, but also for you and for I. Now, the topic for today is blindness and, and vision. And the first thing I want to start off, before we dive into anything, I, the first question I want to ask is, what is, who would, what is the most important sense uh, who would say vision? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Hmm, that's interesting. Who would say hearing? Wow, all right. Who would say smell? Taste? I'm surprised. I know Ed and Myra are foodies, and they didn't say taste. That's a little surprising to me. And then the last one, I guess, is what is touch? Anybody for touch? Oh, touch. All right, we have one. Okay, well... Let's put up the next slide. This is really interesting. I thought they've actually done studies on this. This is a study from a, a, a journal called JAMA Ophthalmology. And when they, they uh, asked a whole bunch of folks, 88% said that sight is the most important sense. Okay? Now, if you dig into this, I think what was super interesting is that when they asked people, like, would you rather be blind for how long or would you rather be uh, have vision, you know, for people said that they would rather, they would choose four point years, six years of perfect health over 10 years of blindness. That means they were willing to give up five years of their life, you know, blind, being blind so that they could have vision. 
And that actually, if you see there, 15% of people said they would actually just be, they would be happy to be dead. They would rather be dead now than to have 10 years of blindness. So I think it's interesting, right? You can think about it for yourself. You know, does this match what I believe? But the word then for today as we dive into this passage is going to be the word, if you go to the next slide, blindness. I've loved that kind of in each of the sermons that we've had in the last few weeks, uh, you know, if you remember, uh, Pastor Drew talked about joy, the water to wine. And then there was this beautiful French word of ennui, right, for the healing of the layman. And last week we talked about like the bread of life with the, with, uh, with the Jordan sharing. And today, the word that I want to put up there for us to consider is this word of blindness. You know, as we study and as we dig into this passage, we'll, we'll see, you know, in some ways, this, this almost sad, just someone pitiful, like a beggar on the side of the street who, who, is, who is blind, who can't see, who was forsaken by, we didn't read the passage today, but if you go back and read it later, you'll know that he was forsaken by his parents, that even the people around him, you know, didn't really, even though they were his friends, they didn't really recognize him or know him. It was just a sad state. Actually, it reminds me of us as we live in New York of just kind of, you know, we know that there's such a, a problem of homelessness and, and poverty and kind of that situation and, and, and blindness being particularly representative of this man's life. And so you'll say, that's nice. You know, I'm, I feel bad for this person. Sometimes, you know, when I, I'm in the subway, we just, oh, this man is, I see this person, but I don't see, and I walk on. Right? That's, that's nice. But what does that have to do with me? I would posit, and I would put out there, that this man that we're going to talk about today is you. And this man is me. Right? And that we are blind. That this is the juxta, the crux of the message. If you go to the next slide, you know, I like to put up takeaways just in case, you know, folks fall asleep and you forget, you know, forget what was said. Take these two things away today. That first, that God has a purpose for our physical blindness. And secondly, that God has a plan to heal our spiritual blindness. Okay, so today we're going to be looking at this passage in two contexts. One is this idea of physical blindness. We're going to kind of dive into what did, what did this man experience? And as in terms of physical blindness, you know, by extension, when it, bring, when it brings to, you know, bring it to us is really kind of, we, we may not be blind, and I don't think there's anybody who's, you know, visually impaired or blind in this room, but just like this man suffered, we all suffer. And what does this passage teach us about pain and suffering? And then we're going to dive into a little bit about spiritual blindness. And what does Jesus do with this man so, so that he can see, spiritually see? And what does that mean for us? Okay? So that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And then I'm going to ask a, a few things at the end for us as we personally apply this. So let's go to the next slide. Let's go ahead and dive in then and into this passage. In John 9, verse 1 and verse 2, it says, He went along. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I want to kind of like think about the context a little bit. right? We know that Jesus was probably walking in 
Jerusalem, kind of in a city, because in the chapter prior, he was near the Mount of Olives. And you see that his, him and his disciples are walking along the streets. Now, you know, if you envision Jerusalem in the day, you know, it wasn't necessarily like the wide boulevards of, you know, I don't know, like in California or something. Like, we, it was a city. And if, if, you, if you try to think of it, maybe it was like, I'm trying to think in New York, what could that look like? It was probably the, the narrow streets that we find downtown and the financial kind of winding. You know, so these were not wide streets, right? And so they were walking along, and here is this, you know, we know as a beggar, blind man. And what the disciples say is kind of, I don't know, I would call it not so empathic, you know, not so sensitive maybe. The question asked is, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want you, us to think about if we were that blind man. What's going through his mind, right? Again, these are, you know, they're probably pretty close by. If you look at some of the, the paintings that were done, you know, they're right next to each other. And we're reminded that this man was blind, but he wasn't deaf, right? And so he could hear what these folks were saying. And what were these folks saying? They were probably saying what, what everybody had been saying for his, to him, about him for his whole life. That something was wrong. Somebody was to be blamed. That it was his parents. That it was him. That he had done something, somebody had done something terrible, and this is what came out of it. That he could no longer, he was blind. Right? People were looking for blame. And if you could imagine that you were this man born blind, you probably growing up just thinking that you're kind of a mistake. You know, because something, somebody did something bad. My life, I exist because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mistake. I'm a something, you know, error in life. I wasn't meant to be like this, but I am. As you can kind of imagine kind of how this person must feel. And when the disciples said this, this was just like, okay, it's the same thing. It's just another day. This is what people were saying. And that kind of thinking of sin, something I did, somebody did something, and that's caused, you know, that's what happened to me now. That was kind of common thinking then, and sometimes even now, right? That this sin happened, and this is why I'm suffering in this. Now, I don't want to go into the theology of that. There's a whole, whole lot of thinking that we could talk about around that. But the key, thing, the key thing I want to take away is that this was just kind of like another day for this man. Of like, I, I, I'm a mistake. People don't care for me. People don't see me. And here's somebody else who's going to say the same thing. And that's why the next words that we read in, this, in the passage are so profound, are so life-changing, right? If we go to the next verse, what does it say? It says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. If you think about this person, if you think about this blind man, I bet you he, he never in his life heard such words, right? He probably, his whole life, as I said, was just kind of being blamed. It reminds me, I don't know if people have 
have seen the, the show. There's a you know, Broadway show uh, called Wicked. Have you seen the Broadway show called Wicked? People may have seen it, but it's about this, it's about the, based on the Wizard of Oz, and I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it, so I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, at the very beginning, it's about the birth of the witch, you know, the, the green witch, and, and the parents were so excited, the, the baby came out, and, and it was green, right, and, and it was such a shock, and they were like, get this, you know, get this baby away, and, you know, put the baby away, and never want to see them again, and the parents, so you can think, like, that's that... That's probably what this man felt his whole life. And yet Jesus came and saw him and said life-giving, life-changing, profound words. That, that, that he was not a mistake. But that God's works would be displayed in him. I want, to sh- I want to, if you go to the next slide, I want to share with you, like, this is not just for this man, but these words, this parable, this, uh, this uh, miracle has had profound implications for so many people. I don't know if folks know this gentleman. I don't, raise your hand if you've ever heard of him, right? Nick, I don't know how to say his name, Vucicic, I think is his name. He's a gentleman who's from Australia who was born with a syndrome called tetraamelia syndrome. Basically, it's a medical condition, no known cause. It wasn't like, his, again, his parents did something wrong. It's like one in millions and millions of births where he had, he just born without limbs. He had no limbs, no arms and no legs. You could imagine how difficult life would be. And, he, and in his teenage years, you know, he shares about, he has, has this, ministry now it's called it's called life without limbs i love the term but he he shares about how god you know how he was so depressed and suicidal and just you know asking himself god why did you make me this way and then he came across this verse john 9 verse 3 and his life was changed because he said suddenly he realized that he was not a mistake Suddenly he realized that God knew what he was doing, that God had a purpose for him, and his life was completely changed. I would just say for our, uh, for our family, um, for, for those who may not know, you know, I have three amazing kids. Our youngest uh, child, Grace, uh, was born with spina bifida, and um, she's a miracle. If you ever want to hear about a, a true miracle, you should come talk to Carol or, or me just about her story, how God had saved her, used her, continues to use her. She's so positive, amazing, a blessing. I have no, nothing else I can. She was told that she, you know, doctors told us she couldn't walk, but you see her, if you see her tromping around, you know, like a, you know, galloping kind of thing, she's definitely walking and we're so thankful for that. Now, Recently, as she's been getting older, you know, she's been, she's been going through, like, why, why am I like this, right? And she's been asking. It's been hard for, for Carol and for me. Um, you know, she's, she's asked, like, she, you know, the other day she asked the question, like, what happened to me? As she realizes more and more in first grade that she can't attend PE because, I mean, she, she can, but she can't play. She can't run. She can't do all those things that all the other kids do. And, and she asked, like, she asked Carol just, just the other day, what happened to me? 
And thank God, you know, I think it's a process. You know, we every day tell her this kind of message. You know, God's, God's purpose, there's a purpose for this in your life. You know, we don't say it so much like, you know, um, I don't know, maybe not in so much religious terms, but we encourage her and we know that God has an amazing purpose for her life. We take comfort in, this, in these words, right? And, and, they, and we know with confidence because of this miracle that God will be, will, God will continue to work um, in her life. Now, the question I have is, does that mean like, okay, that means healing? Like if you saw this passage, this blind man, you know, got some spit in his eyes and this kind of thing. You kind of, uh, we won't go into that today, but it's a little bit, okay, spit in your eyes, fine. And, uh, and now he could see and he was healed. And so does that mean kind of in our physical blindness, in our you know, by extension, in our physical or emotional suffering and hardship, that God is going to just cure it, take it away, just like he did with this blind man. And I would say yes, sometimes. But we know throughout the scriptures that that's not what always happens. And we probably have experienced that in our own lives. If you look at the next slide, please. You'll see an example, and I think many of us know this from the Apostle Paul, right? It says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded to take it away, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Was, was, was Paul healed here? No. Did he have pain? Did he have suffering? We don't actually know you know, what that thorn in his flesh. I mean, it sounds like it might have been some physical thing, but was it physical? Was it emotional? Was it, you know, we don't know. It's not clear. The Bible never makes it clear. But we know that it was causing him pain, and it was causing him suffering, and it was causing him hardship, and he begged God to take it away from him. But God did not take it away from him. And instead, God said, this amazing passage, which is that my grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect in weakness. It's a reminder to us that as we are going through suffering, as we are going through our seasons metaphorically of the physical blindness and hardship, and I don't know where each of us are today, what it's a reminder of is that in that suffering and in that hardship when it seems pointless and we don't know why, God reminds us, right, that he is doing works, right, the works of God. He reminds us that his power is going to be demonstrated through this. And he reminds us that there is a purpose. You know, sometimes we see the purpose, sometimes we don't see the purpose when we see the purpose, it's like, thank you, Jesus. Like later on, you go back and you look, right, in Genesis in chapter 50, the story of Joseph, if you remember, right, where he was, you know, enslaved and sold by his brothers. But then you look back, he looks back in chapter 50, and he says these remarkable words of, to his brothers after the fact. If you remember the story, he says, what you meant for harm, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. You know, sometimes we can see the purpose and, and sometimes we, we don't. Sometimes we, we suffer just like, like Paul. That thorn is not taken away. And yet we trust that God has a purpose 
for these hardships. I mean, I'll just give you an example. As I mentioned, we used to, um, we, we, we used to live in a different part in the east, uh, far east. And we felt uh, as a family that God called us there to go serve. And we served there for um, almost a decade as tent makers. But I remember the first year that we went there, after a year, I was like, I think I heard God wrong. <laughs> like, we're in the wrong place. And it's, it's, uh, it's time for, I, like, we're doing this all wrong. I can't, you know, I, we heard God wrong. Let's pack up and let's go home. But thankfully, at that time, there were some brothers and, Christ, uh, brothers and sisters, and, and we sh- they shared this verse, which is this passage we were studying. Next slide, please. Which is in Psalms, which is, every, you know, is a very common, very, a lot of people know this Psalms, obviously. And what struck me in this period, if you call it metaphorically, of spiritual blindness, of, of physical blindness and, and hardship, was this passage. And it said that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So in the good times, what I saw was that, you know, God is like this he-me relationship. Like, God is he. He's out there. But when we struggle and we have hardship and we're crawling out, crying out to him because we don't know what else to do, that's kind of how I felt at that time. What happens? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That he-me relationship in that depths of struggle and hardship becomes a you-me relationship. We end up knowing God so much more intimately and deeply when we go through that suffering. That passage at that time really struck to me. And it was really in that moment of period of hardship and despair and God, we didn't hear you and let's, we failed and let's go home that God opened my eyes to this passage and made me see you know, if anything, you know, the situation didn't change. Maybe I got a little better in terms of, like, the work that we were doing. But God made me see the purpose to draw close to him, to rely on him and him alone, rather than something that I could do or our family could do. All right, so let's go. Next slide. So we've talked a little bit now about the purpose of physical blindness. And by extension, physical blindness, I mean your, our physical suffering, our suffering of this life, that every day as we go through, we experience that hardship. What we wrote here is that God has a purpose, right? It, I didn't say that he's, he's going to heal our physical blindness or our physical hardship, but that there's a purpose to it. And I hope we are reminded and encouraged of that this morning. The second thing we want to dive into is that God has a plan to heal our spiritual blindness. Now, if you think about this passage, this passage was, like, amazing. Like, if we just stopped at that first sex section, like, awesome, life-giving words, life-changing words for this, this, uh, this um, blind man. And yet, I would say that part of the story was just a small piece. It was just a, an infinitesimally infinitesimally small piece of what God intended, what Jesus intended to show through this miracle. Because it's really this back half that sometimes we just gloss over that, is, that reveals to us God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. 
All right, so let's dive into this a little bit. So if you go into the next slide, what you'll see here is, is we, as we start in this back half is that Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And he found him and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? Tell me that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You know, Jesus, throughout the book of John, talks about, talks that he is the light. Throughout the Bible, frankly. But in John in particular, that he is the light. And that, the, that he is taking people out of the darkness so that they can come into the light. What's interesting is this man who was physically kind of, kind of, who was physically blind, who couldn't see light. You know, now he's beginning to see some light. But Jesus comes and tells him, I am the light. Right? I will bring you out of the darkness. Now, the other thing is sometimes you read this. You know, as you compare the first half and the last half, you said the first half is pretty amazing. Like I said, some spit in the eye, and suddenly, like, something happens, and now I can see. This dude, this guy could never see before, and now I can see. You know, this one, it's like, well, you know, who is it? I, you've seen him. I, I am the son of man. It, it's almost like something like, well, I feel like, you know, like anybody can say that, right? Like, I can't do the first half. But if it were you or I standing there, I think we could, you know, we could at least say, like, I, I'm the son of man. Like, why is that even impressive? Right? And, and we see that throughout the Bible. If you go to the next slide, there's another, you know, when they're healing the, the lame, it's like, you know, remember Jesus said, when he was talking to the Pharisees, what's easier? Like, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Right? And what he tells the man is he's, the man's sins are forgiven. And he tells him to get up and walk. And the man gets up and walk. What I want to what I mean by this is for us to see how incredibly amazing, difficult it is for, uh, for Jesus to be able to say to this man that you are forgiven and that you are saved by the light of the world. It's like kind of like as we you know, get together on Sundays and we hear this awesome worship and we see like everything run. You know, but this morning when, when I was here, it's like there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on in the background this morning and the whole week prior. And, you know, in order for us to get to this point. And what I want to say is that in, in, in this story, the story of redemption for God's people, there's so much for Jesus to be able to say those words that he has had to do to prepare and will do. We know shortly thereafter, we know that Jesus goes to the cross and dies so that we can have life. That only the thing that only the heek alone can do. All of that preparation so that we can be spiritually not blind. What's so interesting about this passage is if we dig in, we see the gospel message. Like, let's, you know, we see Jesus' plan for redemption for each of us. So let's dig into this a little bit, right? Let me just show you. In John 9, it first says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Why is that important? You know, what we call it, you know, there are three instances of Jesus healing blind people in the Bible. In the other two, it makes it a point that these people could see, and then they became blind, right? But in this instance, Jesus says, Jesus says that this man was born blind, blind from birth. You know, and, 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 
this is, I think, super interesting because it, it, it reminds us of who we are. That we were born with sin from birth. Right? That there's nothing that we can do. There's like there's nothing that this man could do to see. There's nothing. He has a congenital condition. There's nothing that we can do to be able to, be, to get this vision without, unless, what Jesus, unless there is what Jesus did. If you go to the next one, what's also interesting is that Jesus saw this man. This is a blind man, right? Jesus saw him. It's, it's, this, it's this use of the vision to see a person who is, who is blind and begging. And in addition, what's also super interesting about this is that the passage says that after all of this that happened, if you read the middle section, the man was thrown out, the man was forsaken by his parents, the man was forsaken by his neighbors, he was uh, excommunicated you know, from the, by the Pharisees, and yet Jesus went to go find him. Right? It's the gospel message again that, that when, we were yet, when we were lost, that Jesus seeks us out. Right? Jesus goes and wants to find this man because he knows that even if he's physically able to see, what the man truly needs is to spiritually be able to see. Next slide, please. And just digging into this a little more, I mean, there's a lot of um, the gospel story within this healing. Right? He was sent to the Sent to the pool of Siloam, right, which means sent, reminding us of, of what Jesus did, right? That he was sent so that we could be saved. And then lastly, if we look at the last verse uh, now, but it gives us a, like to, uh, an idea to look at it from a different context, right? It says, this man or his parents said no, but it says, this happened so that the works of God might be revealed in him. On one hand, the works of God we know is the healing of his physical vision. But what does the works of God actually mean? If we look at the, uh, from John, a couple of verses, a couple of um, paragraphs prior, it says this. It says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so what we see from this whole miracle, this whole story, is that it's a, it's, it's a, it's a microcosm of Jesus' plan to heal our spiritual blindness. That the work of God here is to do and to believe in the one he has sent. That this man's life was changed, not in, only in the physical realm, but for eternity because of what Jesus did. And so it's important that we not forget that, that the work of God here is to believe in the one he has sent. That the whole message, the whole Bible that we read is this story. is God's love letter to us so that we can be spiritually saved. Now what's interesting, if you sh if go to the next slide, what's interesting is that there's this little final turn and twist at the end of this passage. Right? If you remember a couple of, uh, when Pastor Drew was speaking two, um, two weeks ago, there was the lame man who got up and walked, and then, and then Jesus said, hey, don't, don't keep on sinning, or something worse may happen. Right? I don't know if you remember that. But in this passage, there's also this kind of last verse here, where, it said, where um, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are like, huh, you know, all this blindness. See, are you saying that we're blind? You know, because we're not blind. Right? 
And what does Jesus say here? He says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. And I guess I would, I would ask ourselves today, are we that blind man? Or are we the, one of the Pharisees? Right? When we say that, what does it mean that when we say we can see? I think being in New York, I feel like we're all those kind of folks that's like we, you know, the society tells us, like, we can see. You know, we're the ones that lead the way. We're the ones, you know, that are, that know this world, right? And what Jesus is telling us here is that if you say that, if, you're, if you rely on anything other than the grace of God, that actually you can't see. You don't see. And I wonder if that applies to any of us today. I just want to close our time today just with a few questions. If we go to the next slide. And that, uh, you, can, you can skip this one. If you go, the question specifically is, what about you? And what about me? You know, as we read this passage, do we see, do we realize that that blind person that Jesus healed is actually you and actually me. A few questions for us. You know, if, if, you're, you're, if you're feeling spiritually blind, if you're in that category of like, man, yes, life is hard. I need, just like that beggar needed, I need something, someone to help, help me. Like, I want to see. And yet I can't. And this, this passage tells us that Jesus is there to open our eyes, right? That he, if you go to the next verse, that he was, he has been searching for you, that he's seen you, that he, he's, he's looking just like the 99 sheep and the one sheep that's missing. He's searching for you. The Bible tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were still blind, that Christ died for us. He is seeking you. And if, if today you don't know him, you know, I don't know if there are folks like that in, in, in this, um, this morning, but if you don't know him, God wants is your light. God is seeking you. Come to him and speak to somebody afterwards about this. On the other, on the other hand, maybe today you're listening to this and you're like, ah, oh, this is nice. This is a blindness, but this is not me. I, I got it all together. You know, and I don't, I don't need this message. Be warned. This is an, a warning to each of us, right? Kind of just like Jesus puts on the back end there, just to be very, very careful, right? Because when we feel like we have it together, and I think of my own life, like, what do I rely on? I say that I rely on God, and yet sometimes in my life I know, I've been through many times where it's like, What's in my bank account? Who are the people that I know? What is my job's status? Right? That I feel like I, I, I see. I'm in control. Why do I need God when I can control it? I've, as much as I want to say, God, you are in control, like, you let me see, I often live my life in a way that's just like, Lord, I, I can do this myself. And if that's you today, I just I want to put up this quote by Tim Keller, which I really Love, right? It's, it's, it's like sin isn't doing only bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things 
into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. I don't know if that speaks to you today. Right? Are, are you saying that, are you, are you responding to Jesus that, Jesus, I can see. You know, I got this under control. I got this. Right? And if that's you, I would just exhort and, and, and you know, a, a warning to open our eyes that when we put our faith in anything but Jesus, you know, we, we run the risk of turning a, a good thing into an ultimate thing that pulls us away from him. We're going to close up today, and today we're actually going to, um, we're going to do communion. And I want to bring us back to this idea of pain and suffering that we experience with this, with this blind man, right? He experienced pain and suffering. And if I could ask the worship team to come up. Um, communion is a time when we realize we have suffering, but we remember the one who suffered ultimately for us. We remember the one who metaphorically became blind and took on all of the pain of the world and the suffering of the world and the sins of the world so that we could see, so that our eyes could be opened and we remember what Jesus did. So, um, if we go to the last slide here, what I, what I want to ask is, and if you don't have a, um, uh, the elements, if you have the elements, please um, raise them. And we're going to take this, um, take the elements together in communion. Now, if you are a, a you know, Christian and, and, and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, let's you know, take it together. If, if this is not something you believe in or something that you're learning about today and you want to know more um, that's okay you don't have to take this so much as to take time to do business with God you know God you're here today and God is reaching out to you and so so close your eyes and just say God I'm here what are you trying to tell me what are you trying to tell me As the passage tells us in 1 Corinthians, it says, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's go ahead and open this first layer. And this is the the wafer. If you take the wafer, and it says in 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of him. Let's drink this together. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We give you thanks for the miracle of of Jesus.
not just the miracles, but the miracle of Jesus in our life for giving us the gospel and the good news. Father, we remember through this communion the one who suffered, the one who became blind so that we could see. Father, thank you for being our light. Father, we pray that we might be changed people because of the life-giving words that you give us, that there is a purpose, that there is a plan, that all of history is there to bring us back together with you. We give you thanks for that, Father. We remember what Jesus did so that we could have life. We give you thanks and we pray in your son's name.